Every dad has at least one wicked funny story of their son or their daughter coming over with a big surprise. We're having a baby. We're buying a house. We're moving to Dubai or New Hampshire or Texas, God forbid. For my dad, one of those big surprises came at the very turn of the century when his son came over to tell him that he felt called unmistakably, unshakably to plant a church from scratch seven miles north of one of the least Christian cities in America, our city of Boston. That church would appropriately eventually become Seven Mile Road and we built it on five convictions, one of which we coined as super tight community. All that we meant by that was that we believe that the gospel is not just about showing up to church on Sundays and that even a casual reading of the New Testament shows that Christ's church was marked by a beautiful, messy, holy closeness. Those people knew each other's names and stories and sins and strengths and weaknesses and issues and hopes and dreams and fears and all of it. Life lived long-term in tight-knit and transparent community. That's what we were shooting for, are shooting for. And nobody, nobody embraced and modeled that conviction more deeply with more people than my dad has. In this episode, I asked him to talk about the way that God redeemed what was a really hard church experience for him with the sweetness of being a part of Seven Mile. Imagine going to church for like 30 years in a large, established, program-driven, attractional, button-down, kind of legalistic churches, and then having your son invite you into being a part of a small, fragile, relational, missional, seriously messy church plant with no building and no staff and no band and 26 grand and a dream to reach ungospeled, all-set Bostonians. All right, now imagine that your son was not just asking you to attend the church with him, but that he was going to lead and you were going to follow his lead. For many fathers and sons, that would never work. But for my dad and I, totally by God's grace, and because of his willingness to flex for the sake of mission, it didn't just work, but it has been one of the happiest things about our church. Okay, as Margaret and I are continually starting to work on our marriage and get it together really slowly, at that time, Grace and Matthew were visiting a small church in Barstow. Pastor McFeeders was the pastor, it was a small little church by a graveyard, 
and uh, they started to really get involved. And Margaret and I were kind of apprehensive about it because uh, our church experiences weren't too great, and uh, we didn't think we'd want to. But anyway, we went over there, we joined them a few times, and we really started to like it. We thought it was really good. And Pastor McSpeeders was this little pastor, but he was really good and he spoke well, so we enjoyed it. So somewhere along the line, um, Pastor Paul thought that, Matt, what's your idea on planning a church? What do you think about it? And I'm assuming Matt probably thought, hey, that sounds pretty good. (laughs) I could preach, I could speak. Let's see what happens. So Matthew come by and to us and spoke to him, he says, you know what? I think I want to plant a church. And we said, what? Very apprehensive. Are you kidding? But, however, we knew the gift of God was on his life from a young boy and that uh, if this was God's calling, we wanted to back it 100%. And then the thought came to me and mom that, wait a minute, our son will be our pastor. So, we're getting ready. The first service comes, and in comes this guy, John Fredericks. So I'm used to polished musicians, maybe a suit or tie, and he comes in like, all right. He's got a skull and crossbone shirt. There was a big issue and a point with me. So I had many talks with Matthew and said, are you sure, you know, this... Maybe more of a Christian musician around than John. <laughs> and uh, you you calmed my fears. And you said, Dad, God is in this, and he's going to take care of it, and we're going to believe him, and we're going to trust him. And I still wasn't satisfied. I just said, almost a few times we felt like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to go back. We just tell Matthew, we can't do it. How can we support him when we're not in agreement with everything we do here, what happens here. But the Spirit of God slowed us down and brought back memories of other churches we were in. They were chaotic and problems. And as long as God was in and His Spirit was in, we would trust God and we would trust Matthew that this is the right thing to do with the right place, the right time, and the right guy. And as, I don't know what time went by, Matthew said, spoke to John about salvation. And John said, I think I'm going to be on board with that. I think I'm going to, your words, the messages I've been hearing have been touching my heart. And then all of a sudden, my heart started to melt towards John. (laughs) Like, okay, this is going to be good. And then it turned turned out to be like the next year or so, couldn't wait to come to church to hear the band and hear John sing. It's kind of hard for me to capture the effect that my dad has on people. There is just something about the way that he loves them. No expectations, no agenda, no better than thou boomer edge, no spiritual superiority, just genuine, simple, steady, safe love. For almost 20 years and counting, my dad has built these deep friendships with 
dozens of young guys at our church. I'm talking 30, 40, 50 years younger than him. This podcast could literally be six hours long if I had him talk about all of them. So we just picked three to give you a sense of what it's been like. Paul came to us from Corona, Queens. We lived in Flushing and his his wife's parents lived in Flushing. Just a sidebar. Do you know what the biggest question is asked from a New Yorker when he moves to Boston? Do you root for the Yankees? It's always the same question. And thankful we didn't. So we got by pretty good. So it was like the New York collection, you know, connection. We were from New York. They were a connection. Always talking about New York and at the same time talking, doing gospel together. And so Paul was IT in Boston. And at night, they'd always go out to a bar and stuff, maybe about 10 of them. And they start talking, you know, where you're from, what are you doing, why are you here? And then Paul did something he shouldn't have did. He told them he was a Yankee fan. <laughs> that didn't go over good. You know, those Bostonians and Yankees. So then Paul just says, well, so Paul, what do you do? He goes, I, I have a friend at a in church, and we have a meeting in his house, and he's a really cool guy. He loves my kids. I have four, He had four children. And him and his wife would come, and we'd have other times, but I just, he just, we just, we just, we love him. So, oh, yeah. He's also a, a Vietnam vet. The guy goes, what the hell? A Vietnam vet? How old is he? He's over 70. What? <laughs> Your friend is over 70? Okay, Paul. So as you can tell, it was, it's been fun, gospel groups. Now, I'm going to tell you about another set of guys, a Jay and Joe. A Jay and Joe came to our church from seminary school, and he was really interested in planning a church. He loved Matthew and our church right off the belt. And he says, look, I want to, I want to plan a church. So we had a thing in a church called the Ox Track, and right away they got involved in a Joe and a Jay. Once or twice a year we'd go down to Cape Cod, and a friend of Matthew's had a big yard, and we get set for classes and teaching and instruction, and then we do it for two days, and he had a really great place down there. So there was about 18 of us. I'm not too sure. I used to just go all the time because I was Matthew's dad. <laughs> I was always invited. So we had a break. We went to the backyard, and there's a horseshoe pit, and then there's a bocce ball pit, and there was lemonade and snacks and we were playing, and then a Jay says to me, hey, Glenn, what is that thing with the, with the boards and the stuff? Jay, you know, you know what bocce ball is? No. Well, it's an Italian game. They went crazy. They played. And they played. And they played. Matthew says, all right, time to get back in. We got more lessons to go over. And Jay goes, oh, <laughs> all right. They went inside. That night was still night because it was a summer. What do you think happened? Instantly, they ran back out, and it was bocce ball time again. And they actually were good, but nobody wanted to play them. The next day, bocce ball time again. We had a wonderful time, and the teaching was great. So finally, it was time to go home. I said, Jay, uh, Joe, you are now the official Indian 
Bocce Boy Brothers. <laughs> and they loved it. So that was just a great time. And not only was it the game, but we didn't know them well, and we bonded together and as, as Christian brothers, and, and they got very close to Matthew and were very interested in that. And Jay is now a pastor in Philadelphia of a very large Seven Mile Road church. So the fruit that God had in those groups at the time were just so good. Imagine an older couple who are so committed to the mission of God and so open to however God would use them, being willing to open their home and lives week after week after week after week to an ever-changing array of young couples, sometimes 40 years younger than them, without complaint, without an attitude. Imagine an older couple willing to sacrifice any sense of comfort and stability and ease to love whoever it was that God had given them. Ask anybody and they will tell you that Seven Mile was built, among other places, on Glenn Cruz's porch and in his living room and at his table. We've had 19 years of gospel groups. And some of them are pretty wild. <laughs> some of them I couldn't wait for you. Will you please leave? But the majority of cases, they were hurting people, needed people. And I would say that out of maybe seven leaders, solid leaders, four or five of them are seven-mile road pastors now. And what maybe some of them uh, some of them have moved on. One of the things about gospel groups, people come and they go. Some of them, he's, he's up in Buffalo and some other people in Texas. So we have a variety of all different types of people. To this day, we get phone calls. Um, it's Christmas time, and we already got about 30 Christmas cards of pictures of people who have come and gone to the group. And we're, we're like, get out. That's your kid? It's already 16, 17. They look like young adults. So we've had so many different types of leaders, and I thank God that we were a big part of it and that uh, God has blessed it. We've got Matt and Laura. Matt and Laura come to us from Whittemore College. He's from, the, from, from Buffalo, and she's from Pennsylvania. They came to our group, and instantly we just fell in love with them. They had their first child, Zoe, about six months into her being old, they called us up and said, hey, Glenn, Margaret, we're burnt out. You don't mind if we bring Zoe by and you watch her for a while? Well, they came over in the carriage, they didn't live too far away, and we were on the porch, another sunny, beautiful sunny day, and they said, we're going to be gone for an hour. Think you can handle it? I said, yeah, I have two sons and eight grandkids. I think we're going to handle it. Just go, enjoy, relax. Love each other. It's your first child. And eventually they had five. So what do you think happens? 59 minutes and 59 seconds later, boom, they show up. Matt, Laura, Zoe hasn't even woke up yet. What are you doing? Go, go for another walk. And they, they couldn't stop thanking me. So this one couple, Chris and Taylor, they were so young, so green behind the ears. And every single... Wednesday night, 
We talked about the scriptures, the message, and everything always went back to them. Should I marry Taylor? Should I marry Chris? Will our parents going to like this? Where are we going to live? We don't have enough money. How did you guys do it? How did you survive it? And, you know, Margaret and I have been through four houses, seven different churches, two kids. So we had a lot of answers for them. So we prayed and prayed and prayed. Finally, the day came. We're getting married. So they got married up in New Hampshire, and it was in this huge barn, all decked out and music and 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 food and table. All her friends from her life and all of the people from the Seven Mile Roads and the churches. And one of the interesting things about Christine was that she got married in this beautiful wedding dress. But you know what? She had cowboy boots on. <laughs> so it was a big thing all the time. We've seen her. Cowboy boots, Christine. She says, yeah, I like cowboy boots. Okay, I know, I know, I know. Church is not a place. It's a people. Church is not a building. It's a mission. I got it. And I am 100% down with that sentiment. But you know what else? If your church grows past a certain number of people... You got to put them somewhere. And as you can imagine, for my dad, who had spent 40 years renovating physical spaces as an electrician, our original seven-mile road, finding and purchasing and then fixing up an old church building that could become a missional ground zero for us was a total joy. And there was one girl who was part of our church for a while. Her name was Jane, and she said, hey, we're overgrowing this place. How about I heard about a church that's for sale in Melrose? Talk to Matthew about it. Matthew had the gears and all of the wheels running, went down there, found out about it, secured it, and God gave us a beautiful church in Melrose on Greenstead. I believe it was built in the 1950s, and that's how we got it. However... We all were going to go crazy. We got our gloves. We got our, because it was kind of an old uh, 1950s church, pews and rugs. So we got in there so excited with sawzalls and hammers and people were painting and doing electrical work. We, we actually sold a few pews. We tried to sell more, but we only were able to sell two. So it was hard to see these beautiful oak pews get cut up, but we cut them up and threw them out. And then... At that time, I was still doing electrical work. We changed, upgraded the lighting, and some of those old sconces, we were able to bring them home to our house and secure them, and there were some antique windows that we put in a new addition to our house, and Margaret gave the church some money for it. We didn't just take them. So there was that beginning of the fun, the beginning of a new church. The only thing was a little bit strange was parking was always going to be a little bit of a rough thing. So God added plenty of different spots and stuff. So that was the birth and the beginning of Seven Mile Road in Melrose, Massachusetts. Seven Mile is one of those churches where the number of kids under 18 totally outpaces the number of adults. And maybe nobody at the church loves my dad more than the kids do. He is like Grandpa plus Santa Claus plus Chris Folly plus Willy Wonka plus Ferris Bueller all rolled into one. 
For years, he and my mom would teach once every six weeks down in the basement. And I am telling you that the kids adored every second of it. But, you know, we work, we got right in and we work with the youth, basically mostly the children. And Margaret was the Sunday school teacher. She prepared the lesson and I made the kids laugh. <laughs> so it was great. They loved us. One thing we did was that was never done in the big church was all getting ready for the Christmas time. We took all of the kids and we made them angels. We made these giant cardboard wings all tied together. And the kids were just so happy. And we were going to sing joy to the world and glory to God. And then we took this glue spray and we glued it all over the their wings and their body. And we got down at the back and we come in the back of the church. And then we were introduced to come down and, and the kids were hopping and skipping and singing glory to God in the highest joy to the world. And the further we got down, the wings started to come loose. The gold glitter that we had sprayed on, it was coming all over the place. And in the church, the church we had moved to Melrose, there was big fans on top. And the fans was like moving and blowing. Everybody was getting hit with, with, with glitter and the kids were just laughing. And some people were just having a glorious time. And other people saying, what a mess is going on here. By the time they got to the front, it was a total mess. And it was a happy total mess. And then once again, Puella and Papa were the heroes. The majority of the kids that Morgan and I taught, like I said, she got all the lessons together and I always made them laugh. They're all teenagers. Some of them are already in college. Most of them are serving the Lord. So we're so grateful and thankful for that. We're thankful that Matthew... Never kicked me out. <laughs> He's always been there. And things have just been wonderful. God has used the gift that we had um, through the years of our serving God. So we can't thank Matthew and the Seven Mile Road people enough. You know, I'm over 70 now, and for you people out there, I think that that time gets old. There's nothing for you to do for God. God had a great call on, on our lives. And these are some of the people we touched. And I just want to, to thank Matthew for being the man of God he was. And i probably be guessing, but I believe we're up to maybe nine, 10, 11, seven mile road churches in Philly and Texas and Cape Cod and Maine. And so God has blessed seven mile road, has blessed Matthew, has blessed Margaret and I. And we cannot be more thankful to him and to the people we've been with. So I just want to say thank you, Lord. And we've just been so grateful. Amen. So there it is. Church life gospel advance is not flashy. It happens over years when men and women, like my mom and dad, say yes to Christ and yes to loving whoever he gives them. And for my dad, that would not just include church grandchildren, but eight grandchildren of his own to whom he would become Papa. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Yeah, That's My Dad. If you are benefiting from or enjoying these stories, remember the only way that folks are getting connected is through you. So subscribe to the podcast and also spread the word.